Well, if you'll turn with me, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. We're just doing one verse this morning. One verse. Why are we doing just one verse? Why is this more of like a maybe topical sermon? You see, this verse and the truth contained in this verse is I have gotten to know life out here over the last four years. As I've gotten to spend time with you, get to know you, the loved ones you pray for, the loved ones that cause you pain, my own neighbors, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that there's a current, a current we need to fight, a current that says you behave in the church and then you belong to Jesus. This verse turns that dynamic on its head. It calls us to repent of churchiness, of relying on, on religious works. It calls us to understand you fundamentally belong and then from that place of belonging and being beloved, then you go behave. We've got to get that right, and this is the good news that we have to announce as we seek to be a church that gets the gospel outside the four walls of the church. Amen? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want to start you with the story this morning of my boys. If we're going to talk about adoption, I've got to talk about my boys. I love my daughter, but I want to share a special story about my boys. You see, this last week, this last week, they got to mow the lawn for the first time without my hand on the handlebar. Yeah, I see some, I see some dads going, yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. I was so proud. You know, their arms are getting stronger. Their legs are getting stronger. They're growing in endurance. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to start them off with half the lawn. I'm going to get the other half. And then we're going to stand back. And we're going to look. And we're going to go, boys, all right, what can we do better? What can we do better? Why? Why? As you look at my half of the lawn, time out. Sorry, come over here. There's one thing I've learned about men in Northwest Indiana, it's this. You, I see you smile. You love straight lines. You love straight lines in your lawns, and you are laughing because you know it is true. All right, come back over here. As I look at my half of the lawn, what do I see? I see more or less straight lines. Yeah, there's a few little stray grass hairs where I missed or whatnot. What did I see on the boys' side? They were spelling the letter S and the letter Z in our lawn. <laughs> Their arms aren't strong enough yet. They're growing. They're tough. They're going to be strong. Boys, I'm not calling you weak. Don't hear what I'm not saying. They're getting there. They're getting there. Was I mad at them? Was I disappointed in them? Does that cause a frown on my face? No, I was so proud of them. They're starting, and they're going to grow. And as they get stronger, those lines are going to get straighter. What does that have to do with our text this morning? Here's what it has to do. It's such an analogy for life on this planet. You see, you and I are constantly mowing S's and Z's on our father's lawn. But despite our inability to mow in perfectly straight lines, you need to know that he is still beaming at you. He still delights in you. He is still proud of you. He's still teaching you and showing you how to mow straighter lines on the lawn of life. That is the truth that we're getting at this morning. This is where we are going. And why is this true? Why is this true? Why does God still smile at you? Because when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, or if you come to faith in Jesus Christ today, you will become God's adopted son or his adopted daughter. And when you became that adopted son or that adopted daughter, the words spoken over our Savior Jesus Christ in this text are now words that are true of you. God the Father speaks these words over you. In fact, let's go to the text and let's hear our one verse for this morning. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. 
And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Grace Church, this is the word of the Lord. And now let's do this. Let's do this. Let's read it another time. I do not mean to be cheesy, cliche, but let's do this. I'm going to read it again, and instead of this is, I want you to read it and insert your own name. I want you to hear these words and to feel the force of them. So let's read it again, verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, Is my beloved son or my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased? Now, how are we going to break this down? There's just two points, two places that we're going this morning, and those two places are this. Number one, we are going to look at the awe of your adoption, the awe of your adoption. Secondly, we're going to look at how to apply your adoption. So your adoption, there is the awe, the wonder, the marvel. There is the application. There's where the rubber meets the road. Let's look at the awe. Go with me to the awe. Grace, we need to explore how you get these words, how these words became true of you. You see, you need to see how your adoption was secured for you. You need to see how it was accomplished for you. When you do, you stand in awe and wonder and marvel and amazement. It puts the amazing into amazing grace. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Think of all. There's really not a lot to explain here. There's no going to the Greek. There's no cross-referencing. It says what it says, and it means what it means. But here's the thing. We need to think of all that made God the Father so proud of his son Jesus. What caused the Father to beam with delight at the Son? It was this. Number one, here is Jesus, perfect and sinless. When God the Father says these words, Jesus has not been tempted by Satan. He has not performed a miracle. He has not taught a massive sermon yet. He's just lived a sinless, perfect life. That's what makes the Father proud. Let's think of it this way. Whether you're a grandparent, a parent, or let's say you don't have kids, but maybe you have charges in like a Sunday school class, a youth group, or you're a babysitter, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a kid obey you? And you could tell they don't want to. They're obeying you with the grouper lips where their lower lip is sticking out and they're pouting. They obey you through teary eyes and say, okay, daddy, I will give my sister her toy back. And you can see they don't want to, but they do it anyways. Are you proud of them in that moment? Are they well-pleasing to you in that moment? Well, let's kick it up a notch. Let's kick it up a notch. How much more proud are we when they obey from the heart? When they say, yes, daddy, yes, mommy, yes, Mr. So-and-so, yes, miss or Mrs. So-and-so. When they say that and you can see their desire to please you just written over their face and chock full in their eyes, it touches you. You're proud. You're well-pleased with them. They're well-pleasing in that moment, and it makes you delight in them. This is who Jesus Christ was. He is the Son who was well-pleasing to the Father all of the time. He perfectly obeyed from a perfect heart. This is who he was. He was sinless. Wouldn't you be proud of a son or daughter like that? Wouldn't you be proud of a student like that? That's just one reason the Father was so proud of the Son. What's the second reason? There's more that pleased the Father. As we learned last week, this is Jesus' baptism. 
We learn that baptism is a sign saying, I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. I commit to turning, repenting. Remember that two weeks ago? And saying, I need to walk in newness of life. Jesus Christ never had to say that. He did not need baptism, yet here he is getting baptized. Let's revisit this truth. Let's remind ourselves what's going on. The sinless son of God did not need to be baptized, yet he is submitting to the Father's plan of salvation. By getting baptized, here's what Jesus Christ said in his actions. He said, Father, I will be the one to take their sin from them. He said, Father, I'll go one further. I'll become sin for them. Father, I will be the one to become the very thing that you hate most in this world. And Father, I will pay the price they could never pay. Wouldn't you be proud of a son or a daughter like this? I would be so proud to see them living sacrificially like that. In fact, let me illustrate it this way. Let me bring it forward to at least the 20th century. Pretend with me for a moment. Imagine with me. It's the early 1940s. World War II is in full swing. Let's imagine a Jewish soldier, maybe from New York City, enlisting in the army to go fight Nazi Germany. Let's imagine him excelling on the battlefield, perfectly obeying every single order as he's fighting a hated opponent and as he's even trying to liberate and rescue his people from concentration camps. Imagine at war's end, this soldier passing in review before his general, and the general says, halt! The entire formation of 20,000 soldiers stops, and he says, soldier, come here. And he places the Congressional Medal of Honor around this soldier's neck and says, this is my best soldier with whom I am well pleased. Story makes sense at this point, but let's throw in a plot twist. Imagine this. Imagine the decorated hero watching a Nazi prisoner of war come forward, flanked on either side, being walked through a formation. A despicable, detestable war criminal, let's make him that. He's brought before that very same general to be put on trial, and this guy has no chance. You can see it. He's broken. He understands he is a dead man walking. Well, right as the general's gavel is about to descend and the sentence of death passed on him, let's say our decorated hero holds up his hand and says, sir, halt, sir, stop. And everyone listens to him. Why? He earned it on the battlefield. Now imagine our decorated Jewish hero saying these words, let this man live. I will stand in his place. And without hesitation, that soldier removes his dress uniform, removes the Nazi soldier's dress uniform, puts his uniform on the Nazi, and dresses himself in the Nazi uniform. And you now have a Nazi soldier with a Congressional Medal of Honor hanging off of his neck. Imagine that, imagine that. But there's another twist. Imagine now that you learn that that soldier is the general's son, his biological son. The general looks at his son and says, my beloved son, you know I am no pushover. You know this man has done heinous things. You know I cannot let this stand. The families that were affected by him, he, he has something to account for. So you know that there is a sentence that is coming. And the son, the decorated soldier says this, Father, let this cup pass from this Nazi. 
I will drink it for him. He can keep my uniform. He can keep my medals. Please remember, they're all signs of how I obeyed you, how I pleased you, how I won the war for you. And the general says, my son, I will honor that. Men, escort this soldier to the gallows. And then he turns to the Nazi and he says these words, you Nazi, your name is no longer Nazi. Your past is forgiven. Arise. You are now my son. I have adopted you. You are coming to live with me. My house is yours as you walk in this newness of life. Do you see how shocking that is? Like, it's kind of hard to get our minds and our hearts wrapped around that, but that is what Jesus Christ has done for you. That is what he has done for me. The well-pleasing son became the displeasing opponent. The son donned the uniform that was most offensive to his father, the uniform of our sin, our guilt, our shame, and our rebellion, and that right there is what it took to secure your adoption as a son or daughter in Christ. When you hear it that way, you can never let that truth become too familiar. You can never let it fail to warm your heart when you remember how your adoption was secured. The well-pleasing Son of God who knew no sin became sin for you. He became the opponent that you and I have been. Think about it this way. If your every wayward desire, your every hardness of heart, your smallest refusal to let God reign over your life was a thread forming the spiritual fabric of your spiritual clothing that you had to wear. By faith in Christ, he has taken that clothing off of you. And now think of it this way. Think of it this way. If every pleasing action, if every righteous deed, if every miracle, every sermon, every moment of compassion that Jesus did formed a thread of fabric that composed the spiritual robes of his dazzling white clothing, know that by faith in Jesus, he takes that off and he puts it onto you. The well-pleasing son became the disgusting sin, and he did that for you, and he did that for me. He did it so that now you can be heard, you can be seen as God's well-pleasing son or daughter. Do you see the grace that covers you? Do you see the love that washes over you? Do you see the mercy that pardons you? Do you see that by faith in Christ, those words, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, are now your words. The Father speaks them over you. Doesn't that bring awe and wonder to your soul? You have a father that is proud of you, a father that beams over you, a father that delights in you. You make him smile even when you mow S's and Z's on his lawn. He does not abandon you. He does not forsake you. When you see the gospel, when you see your adoption through this light and through this lens, we've got a question to ask. How do I live? How do I respond? Let's go to our second point. We've covered the all. Let's look at how we apply this truth. How do we live in response to this amazing truth? How do we live in response to this good news? I want to look at some ways the rubber of this truth meets the road of our lives. I'm going to show you a few ways, but here's the point. 
Here's the point. The point is not to nail every single life circumstance in this church. I want you to see how the truth of your adoption applies in real, practical, concrete, tangible ways. And then I want you to take it this week. I want you to reflect on what's bugging you, what's got you down, where you need help. I want you to think, how does my sonship apply to this situation? We need to become fluent in the gospel. We need to speak its truths into our own lives. Then you can speak it in your kids, your grandkids, your friends' lives. We'll become a gospeling community. So I hope you see that as the point. Let's look at how it's practical, but let's use that to prime the pump so you can apply this to your own life. Good? North-South? All right, good. Let's look at number one. Let's start with our struggles. Let's start with our struggles. What are you struggling with today? Are you here, and does something have you down? What is it? What has you down? Are you carrying a burden? Are you carrying some pain? Are you carrying some hurt? What are you carrying? Is it from work? Is it from the home? Is it a friend? Is it at school? Is it an illness or infirmity? Is it the illness or infirmity of another person? Is it a situation that is beyond your control? Grace, if this is you, then hear the good news. You are still a son or daughter. The struggles, the storms of life cannot separate you from his love or from your status. Are you struggling with one of life's storms? Good news, that storm cannot separate you from the Father's love. The waves of the storms of life are never larger or taller than the waves of God's love crashing over you. Are you struggling with aging? Well, good news. The ravages of time cannot take his love away. Are you struggling with self-inflicted guilt or shame? Good news. Your repeated mistakes that make you feel like such a failure or when you're not growing quickly enough or fast enough and this one thing keeps getting me like my impatience, right? Good news. That is your father being patient with you. You are not outside of his loving hand. Oh, Grace Church, you are still his son. You are still his daughter when the struggles of life hit. He is still well pleased with you. That's one struggle. Let's zoom in on one. We haven't talked about parenting in a while. This isn't a sermon on sonship. We should probably talk about parenting, right? Do you struggle with parenting? Right? If you have charge over little kids and you're not a parent, right? Do you struggle with little kids or big kids or teenagers? Do you struggle with them? There's help and hope in your adoption in Christ. Let me read a quote from you. I have to read this about once a year because I need it. It gives me hope. This is from a book called Gospel Powered Parenting by a man named William Farley. Listen to this quote. You cannot be a perfect parent. Amen? <laughs> if you could parent perfectly, your children might not need a savior. But you are not perfect. Your sins, failings, and inadequacies produce conflict with your children. And he says misunderstandings with your spouse, but can we be honest? It produces conflict with your spouse, and it hurts. You feel devastated. He says, at times you will deeply feel this inadequacy. Has anyone else out there other than me lived these words? Can we be honest? Can we be real? He goes on. He says, in addition to your inadequacies, there are external stresses. Some of your children, uh, so uh, I feel you if this is you. Some of your children 
might die prematurely. Others might enter the world with congenital defects. Our church has a high proportion of special needs children. Please don't forget that in your prayers. Or still others might go through difficult stages of rebellion. This man cuts to it. Listen to this. He says, because parenting is difficult and because you are imperfect, you will need the grace that comes to you through the gospel. God will use these problems to deepen your dependence on him. You will need grace and you will need to know where to get it. I don't want to stop right there. This is where you get the grace. It is in these words. Here is the grace that is held out to you. You are still his beloved son. You are still his beloved daughter. He is still with you. He has not abandoned you. He has not left you. You will get frustrated with your children or your charges, and that will leak out. It may be a harsh word. It may be a snarky word, but at some point in time, it will leak out. Sometimes in parenting, you will feel powerless as they do not listen to you. Other times you will feel isolated. Why? Because they're not listening to you and your spouse is not on the same page. And for some of you, it may even be that your spouse isn't there. You feel all alone. You will second guess your decisions and you will make the wrong decisions. I am living proof of that. You will feel deep pain over that child that abandons the faith. But despite your insecurities, despite your inadequacies, despite your failures, you still belong to the Father. Through it all, he still loves you, and you are still well-pleasing to him. Your adoption in Christ does not hang on your perfect parenting. It never has, and by his grace, it never will. When you fail as representing him, as bearing the image of the perfect parent, whether as a father or mother, when you fail at bearing his image, he is still committed to you. He is still growing you, still loving you, and still proud of you. Grace, there is hope. There is hope, but I also said there's help. How is there help for parenting in the gospel and your adoption in Christ? Let's look at this. First, let's be honest. The Bible does not give specific nuts and bolts instructions on children. How many of you wish that it did? In this situation, do this. In this situation, do that. When they don't want to eat their broccoli, do this, right? The Bible does not really address that. Here's what it does, though, and it does it in spades. Your adoption in Christ means you have a Father in heaven, which means as you read your Bible, on every single page, your Father is either parenting Israel in the Old Testament or he is parenting the church in the New Testament. On every single page, you see how he is parenting. Let me give you some examples. He is a Father who is protective at the Red Sea crossing. He is a father who provides when he sends manna in the wilderness. But he is a father who disciplines when they worship the golden calf. He is a father who says, I am present in the symbolism of the tabernacle. What else could you learn if you read your Bible and asked, how do I see God as a father in this passage? And how does that connect with where I'm struggling as a mom, as a dad, as a teacher, as a babysitter, as a mentor, whatever? Do you see how useful and how practical the fatherhood of God is? That's a real question. Can I get an answer? <laughs> like, do you see it? It's amazing. It is deep. There is hope. There is help in your struggles and your parenting when God is your father. Here's another one. Here's another one. Are you struggling? Are you struggling with singleness 
or with dating. We have people who want to get married and are not. We have people who are just going on their first dates. Your adoption in Christ is so useful and helpful when you are single or when you are dating or when you desire marriage and it's not happening. Don't ever forget if you are here and you are single, don't you ever forget that Jesus Christ was single. He did not have a physical bride. No, he did not know the relational intimacy of marriage, the emotional intimacy, the other forms of intimacy that are so wonderful about marriage. He did not know that as he walked the earth. Yet here's the thing. He lived a very fulfilling life. He lived the most amazing life ever. He was content in his sonship. His heart was full of the Father's love, and it drove him to do amazing things. There is your hope. You can have a fulfilling life even if you're not married. What about dating? Let's look at dating. Let me talk to the young men. Young men, your adoption is so helpful. In fact, it is so crucial as you find that lady that you want to pursue. How is your adoption helpful? It's helpful in this way. You have to remember first and foremost before she is your girlfriend, before she is your wife, even when she is your wife, she is first and foremost a daughter of God. That right there informs the way you treat her. It is an age-old question, how far can I go in dating without going too far? How would you treat God's daughter? Boom, there's an answer. There's an answer, like, right? Like, like how many men, how many young men taking a girl out on a date, you get home, her dad is up waiting with a shotgun, and a shovel, right? We joke about that all the time. Yes, there you go, we do. But here is the thing. She has a father in heaven who is a much more terrifying protector. How do you honor your father? How do you honor her father? By thinking of her as a sister in your thoughts, with your words, and with your deeds around her. Do you see how your adoption is so crucial as you start dating? Let me talk to the young ladies. Let me talk to the young ladies. I've been a youth pastor. I've been a, what feels like, honey, a singles pastor. You and I working and helping people to get married, doing premarital counseling. How about this? Young ladies, here's the common thread. Here's what I think. Would you please hear this? Would you please hear this? First and foremost, that young man that you want to pursue you is a son. I have found it so helpful to say he's not your savior. He is not your savior. He is not there to fill the deepest holes in your heart. He is not there to fulfill your deepest longings. Now, what do I mean by that? Do not hear what I am not saying. Yes, there is a sense in which a husband should fill deep desires in a wife's heart. He should fill those needs and desires. He should seek to strum the strings of her heart for all the rest of his days. But too many young ladies look to a young man to save them, to rescue them from loneliness or from barrenness or from being different from their friends when their friends start to get married. Too many ladies look to a young man to fulfill their deepest needs and desires. A good man is not one who is going to meet those needs and desires at their deepest level. A good man is one who can point you to the Father and say, hey, how does he help meet that need? His love alone, the Father's love alone, completes you. 
The Father's love alone is what fills your hearts. Young ladies, when the adoption in Christ that you have sinks in at the deep levels, when it warms your heart from the inside out, you will fight the temptation. In fact, it'll turn down the volume on the temptation we all experience to go beyond God's boundaries, thinking that we're giving our bodies up to get love in return. You already have all the love you will ever need. You are so deeply loved by the Father. Do you see how the sonship runs deep? Life struggles, parenting, singleness, dating. Let me give you one more. Let me give you one more. Let's look at how it helps us as a church, not just you as an individual. Let's look at evangelism. If you are God's son or daughter, it, approaches, it changes your approach to evangelism and outreach. Now first, let me say this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a church where so many of you come here saying, yeah, I, I want to do more evangelism. I want to do more outreach. It feels like we should be doing that. But let's be honest. It can be intimidating. It can be scary. Right? When, I, when we set out to plant a church, one man, a church planter in our denomination said, don't tell your people to evangelize. It'll freak them out and they won't come back. It's like, well, we got to use the biblical word, right? At any rate, it can be scary. There's misconceptions around evangelism too. No, you do not have to go hold a sign at an LGBTQ rally. No, you do not have to go hold a sign up at a football game. No, you don't have to go street preaching. No, you don't have to go out and memorize apologetic arguments against evolution and go pick fights online or with other people. No, I would argue that that's probably not evangelism. Apologetics is defense. Evangelism is offense. But, but, it will take all of us rowing the boat in the same direction to create an evangelistic culture here at Grace. We need help in our adoption in Christ. Your sonship, your daughtership is so helpful. How? How? Think about it. When you see how much your father did to claim you, when you see how much work he orchestrated to claim you as a son or daughter, how can you not talk about him? When your child accomplishes something amazing, we blast it on Facebook, Twitter, X, Instagram, and other social media channels. How about your parents? When they hit that 40th anniversary, that 45th anniversary, that 50th anniversary, don't we have an instinct to tell other people, look at them, I'm so proud of them. Look at what they've accomplished. When we are proud of something, we tell the world. It's an instinct. It's innate. Are you proud? Are you proud of your Father in heaven? Are you impressed with all that work that Jesus Christ poured into making you a son or daughter? Are you grateful for what the Holy Spirit has done in coming to dwell within you and adopting you? When you are, your heart overfills. It trembles with joy and you just have to tell people, do you see how the love of the Father starts to melt your fear of outreach and evangelism? Your adoption is helpful. You just have to go tell people about the Father's goodness to you. You have to tell them about how your adoption was accomplished by Jesus. You have to tell them, look what he saved me from. He can save you from that too. And you're just issuing a call to the Father through Jesus Christ. I actually want to hone in on one specific way we can do this here at Grace. We'd love, love, love to see this happen. Did you know that there is a growing immigrant and refugee community in Cedar Lake and Lowell? 
I just found out uh, we have a lady, and she told me, Pastor John, please share this. I want you to tell this story. We have a lady in our congregation who is heavily involved in those ESL, English as a Second Language programs, in the Lowell Middle Schools and High Schools. She tells me that within this growing population, many do not speak English as their primary language. They want to belong. You know, most of them are legal. Let's not get too wrapped up around that just yet. They are proud to be here. They're grateful to be here. But life is hard when you cannot speak the language. Life is hard where you don't know to go get detergent or don't know where to go to go get detergent. Life is hard when you're scared of making cultural missteps in a charged society. In fact, here's two stories that I think illustrate their need for help. The lady who works with ESL programs told me the story of a Vietnamese family. The father and his 14-year-old son came over from Vietnam. Well, she found out in talking to this 14-year-old, something doesn't sound right here. Hey, how are you doing? And as she talked to him, she found out the father went back to Vietnam for two months and left him in the home, just living in Lowell in a foreign country all by himself. The father does not speak English very well, so it's hard to work out the high, how and the what of this. Here's another story. Mexican family living in the Lowell area. Don't speak English, not that well, except for the 16-year-old daughter. The family needs money, so what does she do? She switches over from high school to an online GED track so she can go work as a waitress to bring in money. Not completing her high school diploma, not being able to go on to other things, whether it's trades, college, military, whatever the case may be. Grace Church, what if we could live out our adoption in Christ by adopting these families? What if we could learn their needs? Right? Like, what if we could help them to learn how to use English? Or excuse me, how to speak English? What if we could teach them English using Bible stories? What if we could build relationships with them as we teach them English and then bring them into a program, like a study on the Gospel of John, a Christianity Explored, a Hope Explored, or some other evangelistic program? What if we could serve them and bring them into that? What if we could build relationships with them by maybe renting out the Cedar Lake Community Center and on Tuesday mornings, let's start once a month maybe, having the ladies come in, having some of our ladies come in and show them where you need to go, right? Like, where do you go for groceries? What is a dime? What is a nickel? What is a penny? Things that they don't know. How do you get a job? How do I get some help? Or how do I just have the warmth of friendship? Friends, this could be amazing if on a Saturday morning once a month our men could get together, invite the husbands and the fathers, and, and teach them, here's where the reliable mechanics in this area are. Here's where the reliable plumbers are. Call this guy, not that guy. Why? Because they're so scared of getting ripped off. What if we could be the church that adopts these exiles? Were you and I not exiles? Were we not foreigners and sojourners? Were we not immigrants who were brought into the family, adopted into Jesus' kingdom? What a way we could put our adoption into action. Grace, when you see the beauty, the goodness, and the truth of your standing as a child of God, you have to go tell someone about it. I hope you see that this gospel adoption runs wide and it runs deep. It speaks to your struggles, to your parenting, to your dating, and to our outreach. What other areas are you struggling with that it could speak to? What are you burdened with? What has you down? Please think and reflect this week 
on how your Father's love for you speaks to that situation. Let's close with this. There's one final way we can apply our adoption. It's this. We come. We come forward to this table. Before us, we have the visual signs of what it cost Jesus Christ to secure our adoption. But it also represents something else. It represents a feast, a meal, a spiritual banquet with our Father in heaven where we get to be reminded that we are his children and he is well pleased with us. So let's come to this table. Let's live out this adoption by coming forward, telling him we need him, and receiving our Father's strength for this week. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, how we need you, and Father, oh, how we love you. Oh, Father God, we praise you. Father God, as we come forward to this table, Father, please help us to see the mercy, the grace, and the love. And Father, let us be full with the awe and wonder of what you have done for us. Father, we love you and praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen.